Well, good morning, everyone. It's nice to see the sun a little bit this weekend and feel the warmth. And I hope you are all doing relatively well under the circumstances. Well, due to all the positive feedback from last week, I've decided once again to go against Mary's better judgment and wear my other Western tie. Uh, this one's especially appropriate for church, you see. It's a cross in the Native American style, and I bought it in New Mexico uh, several years ago. Well, I was taking it out of the closet, admiring it, getting ready to put it on, when I turned it over, thinking that maybe there would be some indication of the particular style or manufacturer of this cross. And the only word that I saw engraved on the back was Taiwan, which is a bit of a letdown. And what does that mean? What's the word Taiwan doing on the back of a Native American bolo tie that I purchased in Santa Fe? And how many kilometers did this thing have to travel before it got here around my neck in Waterloo, Ontario? It actually makes me wonder if I should be wearing it. Should I be embarrassed here in this public forum? Maybe instead of a fashion statement, it's more an indictment of my participation in the unjust global consumer economy. Oh dear, the, this homily could um, be getting off track, I suppose. And so with your permission, I'm going to have to leave this line of inquiry until a future time. Maybe a time when someone better informed than I am can speak about it. So there may be some of you out there in the congregation who would want to venture a talk at some point on an Anabaptist consumer ethic in a global economy. But for now, for the remainder of this brief homily, let's turn our attention, as we've been doing the past weeks, to the Gospel reading. Uh, this Sunday from John chapter 10, and the reading goes over the first 10 verses. And I want to thank Nate and Marty for doing our readings this morning. Well, the imagery in the passage is that of sheep and shepherd. The lectionary pairs the gospel text with Psalm 23, which of course is the best known uh, text in the Bible with this imagery, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, these are not the only passages in the Bible with the imagery of sheep and shepherd. The prophet Isaiah proclaims that the Lord will come with might. It says he will feed his flock like a shepherd and gather the lambs in his arms. And the well-known benediction from the book of Hebrews goes like this. And now may the God of peace, who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, make you complete in everything good. Ezekiel pronounces judgment on the false shepherds of Israel, saying, You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the sheep. And Jesus, as he encounters Peter on the lake shore after his resurrection, says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, of course, Lord, 
You know that I love you. Then feed my sheep, says Jesus. So this is a common motif in the Bible. Uh, beautiful in a way, but in another sense quite removed from us. For I actually don't know that much about sheep at all. And I'm guessing that many of you don't either. And if I'm honest, I can't say I love the image. A bunch of docile animals being herded around, depending helplessly on the shepherd for their food and protection. I hope it's not inappropriate to say such a thing. It's certainly not the image that comes to mind when I think of the Rockway fold. If, as the pastor, I'm supposed to be the shepherd, you all certainly don't seem like sheep. If I were to come up with an animal metaphor, I'd have to say you're more like cats. And don't take that in the wrong way. That's not an insult. It's actually a compliment. Uh, you think for yourselves. You don't just go along with the crowd waiting to be fed. And I like that. Well, the other part of John's image in chapter 10 that doesn't really appeal is this idea of the one gate, the one approved official entry point. The text says, all who do not enter by the gate are thieves and bandits. And in verse 8, Jesus himself says, all who came before me are thieves and bandits. That's a bit jarring, don't you think? needs a bit of unpacking. The Gospel of John was the latest of the four Gospels, and if you look at it carefully, you'll notice that there's a background of tension and conflict. There are references there to Jewish followers of Jesus, late, late first century, being expelled from the synagogues. For example, in chapter 9, in the story of the healing of the blind man, we read the following, quote, His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. This is evidence of a great deal of tension within these synagogues about what to do with those who claim Jesus as the Messiah. Not all Jews had the same experience as the early disciples. Not all agreed that the biblical prophecies had been fulfilled. And so as we read John's Gospel, we need to remember that we're hearing the voice of a persecuted minority. And understandably, the voice of the persecuted is tinged with resentment and anger. All those who came before Jesus are thieves and bandits. There's only one true gate, and we're here to tell you who it is and what it is. It's Jesus, the risen Lord, the true Messiah. All those who try to find another way to salvation cannot be trusted. Well, I think understanding the context helps us to put some of these harsh words into perspective. Nowadays, we live in a much different world, and so the tone has to be moderated. And I do find it very sad when some Christians use passages such as this 
to promote a sense of superiority or even triumphalism, saying Jesus is the only way. All those who do not agree with us show that they do not believe in God's word as written in John chapter 10, verse 8, and therefore are destined for destruction or whatever. To take this unfortunate approach is to read the Bible out of its historical context, I think, and to twist the gospel message to serve our own need for certainty and for security and knowing that we're right. I think the much better way is to keep asking and inquiring about who actually this Jesus was and who he is now as a living presence. Who is he as he emerges from all of the biblical narratives combined? What was his purpose? What is his purpose now? To be the one and only gate? To be the stumbling block for many? To establish a small community of the elect? I don't think so. Is his purpose rather to bring life to all who seek it? The last verse of our reading this morning points in this direction. Jesus says there, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. To me, this represents the heart of his message. He came so that we may have life, that all people may have life. And it doesn't mean that this life is automatic or easy. It just means that that is Jesus' purpose. He didn't come so that there would be a new institution called the church. He didn't come to label whole groups of people as thieves and bandits. He didn't come so that a select few might know the assurance that they will go to heaven after they die. He came that humanity might have life in all its abundance and that the earth and all her creatures would have the same. The abundant life that Jesus brings to the world is collective and communal. It's important for us to remember that it's not primarily an individualized, personal, subjective experience. It's not primarily for our comfort or our security. It's much bigger than that. But unfortunately, we still tend to read it that way. And that's the way of our culture. Our culture, which also must be moderated if we are fully to grasp the gospel message. In our culture, it seems that everything has to be boiled down to me and my experience. If I'm not feeling it, it must not be real. If I'm not immediately benefiting, then it's not worth my time. But Jesus' life and truth, Jesus' abundant life is much bigger than that. It can be known it can be felt, but we're not at the center. We're invited participants in a life that's much larger than us. I will see you shortly on the Zoom call.
Um, amen.